Today on the podcast, I am thrilled to be chatting with two childhood heroes of mine who I now have the privilege of calling friends. I remember sitting in the school's enclosure as an 11-year-old in Lansdowne Road, cheering my wee socks off for the Ireland rugby team. And, if my memory serves me correct, seeing more valiant defeats than victories. But Trevor Ringland and Hugo McNeil were two of the stars in the team in those days. And they're two men who became solid friends from different backgrounds and different ends of the island because of their rugby. Through the sports connection, they were able to foster some incredible change and reconciliation over the years as they moved into their corporate employment, Trevor into the legal profession and Hugo into the banking world. Both men never lost their appreciation of each other and of the part that sport can play in bringing good to the world, especially in a divided country like Ireland. In these days, they are both continuing to make a positive difference to Ireland and to the world, continuing their hopes for an Ireland reconciled to itself that has space and place for everyone, no matter what background or indeed no matter what sporting ability. I really enjoyed this conversation on peace and hope and sport and good and I really hope that you do too. Let's get into it. This is a wonderful occasion. Hugo McNeil, Trevor Ringland, welcome to the Good Summer Podcast. It is amazing to have you both uh, with me this evening. You are both really enjoying so far the fact that I have been banished from my house and I'm currently sitting in a car <laughs> in a car park talking to you. It, it just adds to the sense of occasion uh, that I feel. Um, can I ask both of you, first of all, how are you guys doing? We're, we're nearing the end of COVID. The new world uh, is, is nearly upon us. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Absolutely fine. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's been a difficult couple of years for, for everyone. Um, but hopefully we're, we're coming through that now and looking forward to the spring arriving and things opening up across our society. And I think that's to be welcomed and get back to something approaching normality. Yeah, no, the it's also with the start of the rugby season and the internationals are about to kick off and the first of the home internationals obviously coming up and um, what Gerald Davies described as the these beacons that light up our winter weekends. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So gentlemen, but before we go any further then, two ex-Ireland international rugby players, two British and Lions rugby players. Um, I will never forget being an 11 or 12-year-old watching you in Lansdowne Road. It's always going to be Lansdowne Road to me. Uh, so I, I remember I remember watching you and cheering for you. And uh, it's just part of why it's been a real pleasure for me getting to know, to know you both in these later years because it's nice whenever you grow up to discover that your sporting heroes are actually half decent humans. So hopefully we'll be able to, to talk about some of that stuff over the podcast, but can I take it back to some of those days? Because those people who sure. don't know about the Ireland rugby team might not know, you know, we, we have international people listen to the podcast and stuff, but the rugby team is one of the few things that happens as an, as an Island, you know, for example, if you mention an all Island football team, 
you get laughed out of whatever room that you're in. But the rugby has somehow managed to create a really special, strong, all-Ireland team. And Trevor, good County Antrim man, Hugo, lovely Dublin accent there. And, and yet you two, uh, I suspect, became the best of mates through your experiences. Can, can you take us back and tell us about those days? Obviously, only a few years ago. Hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it, it is quite a while ago since we did play on the pitch, but, um, but there were fantastic times. But, but even at school, you were conscious that rugby was an all-Ireland sport. We toured one time in Dublin uh, for Lauren Grammar School and had a long weekend in those days uh, around Dublin and had a great time. But it just was a natural thing to support the All-Ireland rugby team. And, and I think sport in rugby and, and in other sports has managed to do that. It, it's kept relationships going in a constructive way across the island, um, no matter what else was happening. And even when Ireland partitioned 100 years ago, the Irish rugby team continued to play. And we played through some of the most difficult times. And it was always a, a beacon of light uh to to our society that uh, people come across the island british and irish ulster munster leinster and connacht could come together on a joint enterprise and even then play, also play for the british and irish lions as a joint enterprise as we took on the, the southern hemisphere so rugby showed the way it showed how to do relationships properly and as we look to the next 100 years and try to ensure they get the relationships right in the next 100 years, it's certainly one of the very good examples that we should be trying to follow, no matter what your constitutional preference. Yeah, and people, people as you say, Jules, it was right through the, you know, some of the worst of the troubles. And people used to say, you know, it was great you all played together and nobody ever mentioned the situation or the troubles. And I remember we thought, particularly Trevor and I, that was fine as far as it went. But if you were playing with somebody, you know, in the in the cauldron that was international rugby, and that you were dependent on them and they were dependent on you, that you yeah, and you couldn't sit down at the end of an evening or over a pint and say, let me really understand what's going on or where you come from, or you know, in whatever case from the unionist tradition. And so we and so we talked and we talked and we talked. And you know, it's certainly I learned an awful lot having grown up. You know, in, in, in the Republic, my great grand uncle was very involved in, you know, political matters way back, founded the Gaelic, Gaelic League, the Irish Volunteers. Um, and so it was, I learned so much. And then coming, it also was, the, the other great thing it did was it brought you north. It brought you to Belfast, to Larne, to Ballymena, to Dungannon, to Matarafelt, and so on and so on, and, and get to know people and get to, and the warmth of the welcome was extraordinary. Um, and this was this was you know living in just this you know in the sense of the rugby world, but aware there was a sort of another big series of things that were going on around it. And I you know developed a you know a real love and a passion for the place and and its people um, because I had nothing and Trevor would say with nothing but good experiences um, in that. But most most of the time, um, you know, we do have. Most of the time, it was it was it was good. Sometimes we were threatened because we had a, you know, Jimmy McCoy who played for us was in the RUC. We had Brian McCall was in the British Army, 
So we had the special branch on our floor of the Shelburne Hotel, which is something that a lot of, nobody really knew at the time outside it. But we, we you know, you, you were aware that there was magical, wonderful thing playing for Ireland, but you were you were also aware that you were, you know, in 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 living in a time that, you know, the experience for a lot of people wasn't great. Yeah, and, and the welcome across the island was extraordinary for those who travelled from Northern Ireland as well, and and played sport. And we have to remember that not only did the Irish rugby team play at that time, but there's so many all other All-Ireland sports that at all different levels, people were traveling across that border at those times. And as I said, experiencing each other and experiencing the general welcome that, that Hugo and I would talk about, that, that we felt everywhere we went nearly with, without exception. And, and so it shows always what's possible. It shows that things can be different because you know, there's there's an anger and a bitterness there across our society that I think we have to face up to. But it's good to have something that you can point to that shows well it doesn't have to be like this. It can be different, and I think that's where sports such as rugby and hockey and and others show that it can be different. And and it it really is a challenge as we look to the next hundred years that we have to make sure we get relationships right because we certainly don't want to go through what we went through before. And uh, that's not what we voted for in 1998. And and it's certainly not the future we want for our children or our grandchildren. That's huge, Trevor. You know, first of all, for, for Hugo to, to give all these signposts of wonderful Northern Ireland by mentioning Macra Felt, that's huge enough in itself. <laughs> but the uh, that sense of, um, you know, it, you, you both talk about it so easily and yet... Trevor, is my memory correct uh, that you would have, you know, and, and, and you you would that you would define yourself as unionist, you know, but you would have had some really difficult conversations with other unionists who were like, what are you doing standing on Lansdowne Road for the national anthem? You know, would would you have taken abuse from fellow unionists for kind of wearing green and standing on a, an Irish anthem? You know something, Jules. Actually, yeah, there were some, but very, very few. Okay. And and that and that 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 is that is something to bear in mind. That uh, yes, there's always some who would have said occasionally and very occasionally, but they actually were relatively few uh, across across the island. That is good. He wasn't always was sort of always that nice. That there's you know there was a year and towards the end of my career in '88 when played for Ireland. And I had been dropped. I was on the bench, and Trevor was on the wing, and he was uh, he was brought out injured, and he was brought out and to, to an ambulance to take him to hospital for a precaution. And suddenly, from inside the ground, there was this huge roar that Ireland were doing well. It was kind of Ooh, and then away. So Ireland had obviously scored a try, and Trevor turns to his wife and says, "I just hope it's not McNeil who scored on my wing because I came on in his exact position." So I wouldn't want to think that all the generosity of spirit and the magnanimity was, was always there. Fortunately, it was there most of the time, but uh, that, was, that was a moment yeah. to remember. And then, of course, there was a time he, that I uh, played against Scotland and Scotland put up an, an up and under. And uh, it was a very, very strong wind that day. And I, and I, I fell over and missed it completely. And, it, and the ball bounced <laughs> up into the arms of my opposite winger. I think it was Roger Baird, was it? And... Yeah. Uh, and he was going for the line, and about a yard short of the line, uh, Hugo cleaned him and took him out. Well, um, and, 
did Hugo show any humility there? No, why did I have to listen to him for the rest of the night? You know, I, I saved your ass there. He said, you know. <laughs> do, do, do you know what? You remind me of the best rugby tackle I ever did, boys, with that story. Let me tell the podcast world and really inspire you too. The best rugby tackle I ever did was in the middle of a German forest at about four in the morning. I was, I was away as a, as a young person on what they called Inter's Week with Irish and German young people. It's, I've forgotten about this until you said this. One of the best weeks of my life. Uh, we had a flagpole and main, we were northerners. And so somebody had brought a pair of Union Jack boxer shorts and uh, the, we, so one of our lot put the Union Jack boxer shorts uh, on the flagpole in the middle of this camp in, in Germany, in the middle of a forest. We didn't see any, any, anyone really for a, for a week. But the game was that some night during the middle of the night, the young people from the late from the German village would come and try to steal the flag that was on the flagpole. So every night we had watch from like midnight to two and two to four. I've, I've never been so scared as doing that watch with one other person and hearing an owl for the first time in my life in the middle of the night. Incredible. But then, of course, the last night, five past four, all the firecrackers go off and the guys are shouting, the Germans are here, the Germans are here. We're out. It's, it's chaos. It's the best part of a youth group camp that you would ever have. And so I chased some German down the forest path and then I turned around and there was one massive guy, probably about seven foot five in my mind now, hurtling towards me fast as he can. I lined myself up all 14 or 15 years of me. Uh, I went just above the knee. I put him into the ditch at the side of the, of the road. And I'm, there, I'm lying there on top of him. And I look down and go, ah! And he looks at me and goes, it's only a game. It's only a game. So... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. That was Very one good. of those. That was my Hugo McNeil moment saving your ass, Trevor. <laughs> this podcast is proudly supported by the amazing folks at Thought Collective, a team of designers and developers who create brands and digital products to captivate the crowd and communicate effectively. They make the Good Summit look great. Check them out at www.thoughtcollective.com. Tell me, you you guys, you guys became good mates uh, playing rugby on that All Ireland experience. How yeah. did you how did you take that forward? Uh, because though the relationship and the friendship that you built up, you've been able to use to try to broaden some of those understandings of peace and reconciliation and, and connection through sport. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was, you know, people used to say when we were playing, it was great you all play together on the national team and um, the Ireland team and, this, and the situation is never mentioned. You know, the troubles are never mentioned. And I remember thinking, and Trevor, the same, is that, that was, that's fine as far as it went. But if you, having got to know someone through the, you know, the cauldron of international rugby, sat down, couldn't sit down in the end of the evening and try and understand things. How do you expect people in the most polarized areas of the communities to do so? Certainly for myself, we talked and talked and talked. And I certainly got a great, I think, understanding of the unionist position and background and culture and, and all 
Um, and so therefore, and then we were able to apply it to, you know, certain situations, whether it was we were involved in Operation Ireland or the Ireland funds, or most probably not memorably for us was in the in the Peace International in mm -hmm. 1996. Yeah, when, so it was a year after South Africa had won the Rugby World Cup. And the image of President Mandela had gone around the world wearing the Springbok jersey, the symbol of apartheid. An incredible moment. And so a, a lot of people, you know, when the IRA blew up Canary Wharf, there were people speaking out who wouldn't have spoken out before. So I called Trevor and said, well, why don't we have a peace international and bring the best rugby players to Dublin um, as a statement against IRA and all terrorist violence? And um, so we contacted Francois Pinot because it, we really needed one of the big South Africans to come. Yeah. And Francois said, yes, I'm, I'll come and I won't want a penny for it. And so the whole thing just took off from that. You know, the people, some of the best players in the world, David Campisi, Philippe Salad, the Barbarians team came. And we filled Lansdowne Road with, uh, you know, a crowd of a lot of people who'd never been to a rugby match before. And the guests of honour were all children who had been children who'd been affected by the troubles. So there was no politicians, there was no anthems. It was just a moment's silence. There was a young boy, Darren Baird, who lost both his parents in the Shankill Road bombing sister and um, Tommy Mullen, who's lost a brother in the reprisal attack in Grey Steel a, a week later, a little boy called Gareth Bowlesworth, whose best friend was was uh, was Tim Parry, who was killed in Warrington in the Myra bomb. And so this was the most incredibly moving event. These children looked so young. At the end of the match, the, this team, who was filled with the, some of the greats of world rugby, did a lap of honour. And the whole stadium just rose and applauded them and thanked them for lending their credibility, lending their name to those who were kind of working for, for peace in Ireland. And it was the most, I can still feel the sort of goosebumps as we're kind of talking about it. It's we, you know, Trevor and I have been lucky enough to have some great days in the Lansdowne Road Stadium, but nothing, nothing came close to that uh, as an experience. Trevor, what, what's your memories of that? No, it, it, it was very powerful and, um, and very emotional and, it, uh, you know, when Hugo phoned me up and he said, what do you think? And we said, yep, uh, I think it would be a good idea. And then we went and met with uh, Tom Kiernan, Sid Miller and Bobby DC at the Irish Rugby Football Union. And without their support, it wouldn't have happened. And the Barbarian Rugby Football Union as well, uh, that they came in behind it and then the players supported it also but it was also making us about making a point that that is too often forgotten that there are consequences to using violence and it seemed an obvious point but when you have conflict there are consequences to that and so those young people that came onto the pitch that day before the game they showed and highlighted the consequences of having conflict they were lovely families uh, really nice people and yet the most terrible devastation had been brought into their lives. And I think both of us after that reflected on it and, and both of us said, you know, really, we really have to look after our children better. And we have to care about each other's children as if they are our own. And I think that's been probably one of the motivating factors for both yeah. of us since then to try and make that difference and try and reflect that we have to care about each other and again coming to the next hundred years it has to be a hundred years where we look after each other's children as if they are our own and make sure they don't go through the experiences that, that we went through and i think hugo isn't it i think that 
that yeah. really was, you know, a very emotional event for both of us in, in that respect. Yeah, I think I think it just showed you sometimes that Jules, that sport can be bigger than sport. Um, what do I mean by that? Those, you know, and Francois Pino, who came, who was whose image with President Mandela had gone all around the, had gone around the the world. Uh, I remember he told me a story that when they were just about to go out before the World Cup final and they were against the New Zealand All Blacks who were massive favourites. This one incredible specimen, Jonah Lomu, who uh, was there at the time. And they were in a huddle just before they went out. The whole country was watching and there was a knock on the door and the manager of the, the team said, Francois, Francois, the president wants to say something to you. And he said, well, we're about to go to play the All Blacks. We can't, we just, we got, we're about to play the All Blacks. Please, we've just got to remain focused. And the manager said, no, no, Francois, you don't understand. And he turned around and the president came in wearing a Springbok jersey and a, and a Springbok cap. And this was for Nelson Mandela, who had been incarcerated by this regime. This was the symbols of the regime for, for, for so long. Wow. And Francois said, we just all stopped and looked. And he said, we knew in that moment, he said, we're not going to lose this match, whatever, whatever happened. And so this was, again, it was brilliant, the sort of the... Sport is sometimes bigger than sport. And to see Francois Pinar at the World Cup final last year when, and see Said Khaleesi, a black South African captain of the Springbok side, um, just showed what sport can do and yeah. how it can transcend and it can create these, these moments where it's just so much bigger than sport. And that's why it's so rich and that's why it's so connecting and that's why it's so life-affirming and it's so positive and all the good things. Trevor often says... You know, to me, when we talk about it, you can push the good buttons or the bad buttons, you know, with people and you'll get a certain uh, answer in, you know, across this island around various themes. And, the, and what we all have to do is to try and find many good buttons to be pushing because there is this, this greatness and sympathy and empathy in people that you just have to connect with them. And we've, we've been privileged through this times with, you know, being engaged in various things that we have is to see people at their very best. Uh, which is what you do in the Good Summit. And this is what you do in the, in, um, oh. that's why we have such an affinity and such an, a respect for the, the Good Summit and all the participants. Because that, that's really, to me, what the essence of what it does. And, and Sport Down the Ages does that, Jules, and, and will con continue to do it and, and, and play that role. There's another story that I think is a very powerful example of that, is uh, an old Irish-British lion and president of the Irish Rugby Football Union and a member of the International Rugby Board, Harry McKibben Sr. And Harry fought in Burma during the Second World War. And as a result of that, he, he wasn't well disposed towards the Japanese. But he ended up in the International Rugby Board and at a dinner, he, he was sitting beside the Japanese representative on the International Rugby Board, who's a guy called Shigi Kono, who we met, Hugo and I met in Japan in 1985 in a tour, who's a lovely guy. Okay. And they started to talk. And as they talked, they they suddenly got on to the war and they found out that for a period of weeks during the Second World War, they were something like 100 metres apart in the Burmese jungle trying to kill each other. And they got on so well and then became very close friends. And it just... Uh, so sport does that. And, and it is a tremendous vehicle for... For the positive in in so many different that's, ways that, that that's incredible and i think that's what we've sort of taken out of it when you you know when trevor and i've talked about the north or the various things and you talk about reconciliation or or, or whatever is to try and bring those 
those principles and use them, you know, in another context. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the Good Friday Agreement. It's talked about border polls. The Secretary of State can call a border poll. And it's, you know, a lot of people who want to pursue the, that, that agenda talk about the border polls. But what they, what they miss in the first two paragraphs of the Good Friday Agreement was the emphasis was on creating reconciliation. The emphasis was on tolerance. Uh, and those are highlighted, but they're never mentioned because they're not as sexy as it was the border poll. They're not as, um, I mean, but they're absolutely fundamental to create the atmosphere or the best atmosphere that either of the two constitutional references can follow. Uh, and it's this creating this atmosphere. And we were lucky to, in something like sport. And I, and I don't want to trivialize it because there's other things that are much more complicated than sport. But sport had that um, atmosphere and ambiance and ethic you know, about it that actually was able to, to be applied. And that's what we, you know, when we kind of think about these wider things, the challenges of being involved, Trevor's been involved more than me over, over the years, but the, our involvement in different organizations or in him wanting to build reconciliation and peace and tolerance uh, across this island, because that'll be the best for everyone, whatever. And then, and then sort out whatever other things may happen or not happen. And I think some of the sporting examples that we, we bring to the work that we're, we're involved in is also that the teams that we played on that were successful were teams of friends and the relationships right across the teams. And the other dynamic at play were players that set high standards and then also uh, demanded of each other and expected the others to come up to levels of fitness and skills as well. And so we were constantly challenging each other to, to perform better. And, and I always feel that the successful society, if you recognize it's the interdependent model, which is that everybody is different, but you have to find a way of getting people to work together so that society as a whole does well. And, and rugby is actually a, a mixed rugby team in every shape and form and ethnic group is sort of an example of how of that, you know, you have different sizes, different characters, different speeds, and yet you have to find a way that they work together. The An orchestra is another example, you know, that you have to find all these different musical instruments to play in such a way that they, they make good music. And But it's that sense of friendship and a common purpose and and then the challenge to each other that, that, that you, you know, you have, you have to play your part in this too and an expectation of the other. Um, that, that can play quite a powerful role. It, isn't that fantastic, though? Because if, if we go back 10 minutes in the discussion, we, we really had, you, you, you guys said some amazing things uh, that all kind of started with uh, you're playing on a team and, and, then, and then you hang out and you talk and you can't do what you just said, Trevor. You can't learn to play together. You can't learn to appreciate the differences and the strengths uh, in, in an actual team approach to something without getting to know each other almost as humans. And it was that getting to know each other as humans, which, which I heard you say led to so much more. It, you know, hearing, hearing what somebody from the other side of the island considers normal and hearing somebody else's experience of life, you know, connecting Ulster, you know, you know, proud Ulster men with 
with proud monster men, one corner to the other with very different experiences of life and history and politics. Uh, and doing that over beers and, uh, you know, and over training sessions and over the table, that, that's a really incredible way for, for goodness to, to work itself out and to keep growing and to end up in something like a full stadium of Lansdowne Road with the World Cup winning captain, you know, you know playing there to honour peace and to honour reconciliation. And the amazing and wonderful thing is that you both have stayed friends, but actually you haven't just stayed friends, you've built in that friendship. You have used that friendship to do some real uh, north-south, you know, further peace work, reconciliation work. Uh, we're coming towards the end of our conversation, but um, I've enjoyed it hugely. Um, uh, if you don't mind, I've, I've got a few quick fire questions to finish with. Just, just one word answer. So maybe we'll, it'll be Hugo, Trevor, Hugo, Trevor, Hugo, Trevor. Uh, and Hugo, doesn't, so, Hugo doesn't do one word answers. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well so you, the first one's easy and then three rugby questions. All right, first one. What is your favourite meal to share with friends? Hugo. Um, <laughs> the, the quick fire is really, really winning here. Yeah. <laughs> um, fresh salmon. Oh, very nice. Trevor. Any meal with friends is good. Oh, good answer. Okay, back to Hugo. The best rugby player in the world right now. Ooh. The best rugby player in the world. I don't know. I, 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 I don't. Who would who would you be lo- love to be watching this weekend? If you were at any game, who's the rugby player in the world you would be loving to? Well, watch? I suppose I'm do part of the French team. I mean, the exciting thing is France are now back playing the rugby that they are capable of playing. The reason that we all loved them, the rugby so much, except when we were playing against them and Trevor and I were on the end of a few hammerings of Welsh of French rugby at their best. I, I was, was there watching it. Yeah, exactly. And it was painful enough for you. Imagine how it felt for us. Um, but now that somebody just, it's just a joy to see them playing the way they are. And he's certainly at the, at the, at the core of it. I, I, I know that I said this is quick fire, but I do remember Trevor, you telling me once whenever I asked you uh, about playing France, you said it was really surreal experience because you're just watching them going, Wow, those lines of running are really good. <laughs> so, Trevor, best rugby player in the world right now. Oh, I, I'm struggling. You know what I'm doing? Going to do? I'm going to go, go for young Michael Lowry of Ulster. Okay. And he, yeah. And he may not, he may not make the Irish team, but he is pure entertainment, and the vibrancy that he brings to the matches, and the panic that the defence show when he starts moving his feet around. Absolutely. Um, and 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 so it, it's a bit like Hugo. The game has become so physical. It's just nice to see somebody bringing bringing the sort of the, the real magic of, of movement and, and deception. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah, going to give that to him. Yeah, brilliant. So uh, you both may have answered this in one way then, but uh, two questions left. Who is the best rugby team in the world at the minute? Who do you think, Hugo? 
it's hard to know. You, you normally say New Zealand, but New Zealand had an incredibly long tour in which they ended up losing some games. Obviously, we were delighted Wasn't that to beat them. Brilliant to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. We did. We're not. We're not spoiled. We're spoiled. I think it's very hard. It's very hard to know. And uh, the fascinating thing is, we could talk about the Six Nations, and we're all hopeful that Ireland will take another step or another couple of steps this year. And why? Maybe they. Maybe they. Maybe they can, and that would put them right up there. Um, and you know, France will obviously be very challenging as well. Excellent. Thank you, Trevor. Well, I would like to. See, we'd like to see the Irish team do well, obviously, but. I'd love to see the French team letting go again and getting back to the way they were playing in the 1980s when I used to admire them coming towards me thinking that was brilliant. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? I usually just shout out, Hugo, you're a man. It's just wonderful to be able to chat and talk about the, the, the great things and the inspiring things uh, that you're doing. So Trevor, Hugo, yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, um, we'll see you at the next That was Keeping It Good with Trevor England and Hugo McNeil. Both of them incredible humans making such a positive change and difference to the world. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you've been inspired by it. And I hope that you can go on and keep it good. So huge thanks to the Good Summer team that have brought you this podcast. Huge thanks to our editor, Andy Matthews, and to our genius behind the marketing and the social media, Stephanie Papage. Uh, My name is Jules Hamilton, and I'm saying, go on, get out into the world, and keep it good.